And as Ed was waiting for his wife to finish her shopping, he dragged the luggage in the cooler over to the shoe department to sit down. Well, the salesman asked him if he could be of any assistance, and he said, no, I'm just waiting for my wife to finish her shopping. Well, at that point, a man behind him said, you know what, I'm waiting for my wife too, but I never thought about bringing an overnight bag and a cooler. <laughs> you know, as we come to John chapter 21 in the scriptures today, it had been a couple of weeks since Jesus had been raised from the dead and the disciples were waiting. They were impatiently waiting to see Jesus again. But when? When would they see him again? And when they did, how would he appear? What would Jesus say when he reappeared? And what would he do? Let's find out in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, Kevin Blankenship, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you. Amen? <laughs> we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Kevin Blankenship. <laughs> Hallelujah. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So in obedience, they cast the net, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. That's some fish, amen? 153 fish, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave, them, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, in the first few verses of that passage, we see that it was time for the disciples to get busy. One of the first instructions that Jesus gave the disciples after he was resurrected was to go to Galilee and wait 
for him there. Matthew 28, the angel told Mary Magdalene, Jesus is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the boys packed up and they headed north. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited for Jesus to appear. But you know, while you're waiting, it's always good to be doing something. Amen? How many of you know that Jesus is coming again? Well, while we're waiting, why don't we get busy and start doing something? Amen? So here we find these seven disciples doing just that. In one week, their lives had drastically changed. They had faithfully followed Jesus for three years, but now he was no longer there in the flesh for them to follow. He was alive, yes, and they knew it, but it was different. Uh, he just wasn't the same. So here they are waiting for him to show up once again. But while they're waiting, apparently Peter says, Hey man, let's get busy. Let's get busy. It's time for us to continue to pay the bills, right? So as usual, Peter takes the lead and they went back to what they knew best, fishing. And Peter pulled a Kevin Blankenship and said, let's go fishing. And all the rest of them said, okay, let's go. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that while we're waiting for Christ's return, I want to suggest to you that we get busy and I recommend we go fishing. When Jesus first met these men, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. While we are waiting for Jesus to come back, why don't we go fishing for souls? While we're waiting for Jesus to come back, let's go fishing for the souls of some children. Let's go fishing for the souls of some women and, and some men. Let me just ask you this question. If Jesus returned today, and he asked you, what have you been doing while I've been gone? What would you say? If Jesus returned and asked you, sir, ma'am, have you told anyone how they can have a relationship with me by believing in my son? What would you say? If Jesus returned and asked, how have you been using the gifts that I've given you to grow the kingdom of heaven? What would you say? Listen, y'all. Countless men, women, and children are eternally perishing for the simple reason that we, the followers of Jesus Christ, aren't telling them about the alternative. I say let's get busy. Let's go fishing for the souls of children, men, and women. And while we're waiting for Jesus, let's stay busy just like the disciples did. Now, after this, we find that 
The disciples had a lot of fish stories. I've heard some fish stories come from over in this area. Let's read about these fish stories in verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they, in obedience, cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now we need to give credit where credit's due here, all right? These fishermen were a courageous bunch. Our Lord knew exactly what he was doing when he picked out these men for his band of followers. Because most of them were fishermen. Most of them were fishermen. And do you know what the great thing about a fisherman is? They don't quit. Fishermen keep casting that line and casting that line and casting that line. Fishermen are not quitters. These men had gone out, had fished all night long. It was an awfully frustrating night. They hadn't caught a thing. They had to be discouraged, depressed, and exhausted. They had been a, it had been a night filled with failure. They hadn't caught one crappie. They hadn't caught one catfish. They didn't even catch a stinking minnow. And then a stranger from shore starts hollering and asked them if they'd caught anything. And even though they were frustrated, they told him the truth. You see, truth can be a difficult subject for a lot of fishermen, amen? Mm-hmm. Whatever. See, if a fisherman's catching a bunch of fish, he ain't telling you about it because the next question is going to be, where'd you catch them? And if a fisherman ain't catching nothing, he don't want you to know it. So even though these disciples were embarrassed, they told the truth. And they told the stranger on shore, no, we ain't caught a thing. And this whole night of fishing has been a bummer. But this wasn't the end of the conversation because they took the advice of the stranger. It's like the stranger was Dr. Phil. And the stranger was saying, is what you're doing working for you? Amen? Boy, we can ask ourselves that question. Is what you're doing working for you? Is your way of living bringing you closer to God or farther away? Is your way of living bringing you success or failure? Are you living the abundant life that Jesus died to provide? The disciples were willing to admit failure. Are you? Is what you're doing working for you? Are you ready to admit that just maybe what you've been doing really hasn't been working that well for you? Are you ready to admit, you know what? It's high time for a change. It's high time for a change in my life. 
You see, not only were these disciples ready to admit their failure, they were also ready to receive the Lord's solution. How about you? Are you ready to live a life of great purpose? Are you ready, friend, to experience life in all of its fullness? Are you ready, friend, to receive God's solution? Say yes. yes. Amen. The Lord's solution yielded these disciples a great bit of success. They got some fish, and they got some more fish, and they got more fish. The Lord's solution will yield great success for you as well. For instance, how would you like to experience great peace in the midst of turmoil? Boy, there's something about that, amen. How would you like to experience fantastic joy in kind of a gloomy world? How would you like to experience great assurance even when things are kind of uncertain? You can have all those things if you'll receive the solution the Lord provides. Now, the disciples understood their success when the disciples learned, he's back. Amen? Let's look in verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net of fish. Wow. He's back. John immediately understood what the cause of this great success was. John gets it right away. You see, it's not normal to catch fish like that. You don't cast your net on one side of the boat and get 153 fish all at one time. It was like somebody ordered the fish to get in the net. Amen, I wonder who that was. And so John announces to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. The reason we're catching all this fish is it's the Lord. I know why we're catching these fish. He's back. And man, you gotta love Peter's reaction. To say the least, Peter is eager to see Jesus again. Yeah, he's excited about the success. Yes, he's excited about all these fish. But he was even more excited because Jesus was back. Friend, how are you? How excited are you to be with Jesus? Do you find yourself excited to get out on a stormy Sunday morning, pouring down rain, to come and, and just be with God's people and be with Jesus in our midst? How excited are you? Once again, we see how impulsive Peter is. He grabs his robe, he does a cannonball out of the boat into the water, and he pulls a Michael Phelps all the way to shore. Why? Peter wants to be first to get to Jesus. He wants to be the first one to get back to Jesus. Listen here, I love you guys, but when Jesus comes back, I want to give you a promise. I am going to outrun every single one of you because I want to get to Jesus first. I'm excited about Jesus. Call me selfish, 
but I want to be first to get to Jesus. Now it's time for the disciples to fellowship with the Lord. Let's look back into verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now that's kind of a fishy story, amen? That sounds like some stories I've heard before. In verse 9, we learn that the boys get to shore and Jesus is already cooking fish. What does that tell you? That tells you that Jesus is not dependent on our feeble efforts. He is supernatural. He is all-powerful. He doesn't need us. He could do all the fishing necessary to fill the kingdom of heaven. But he offers disciples the honor of helping. He gives us the honor of helping to fill the kingdom of heaven. What a gift, y'all. What a pleasure. What a privilege. He doesn't need us, but he wants us to be involved. And so the disciples are so giddy at this catch of fish, you know they count every one of them? They count every single fish. And what's really incredible is, is that the average net can't even hold 153 fish. It's too bad that the Guinness World Record book wasn't in place then because this was a record-breaking day, y'all. And so now, it's time to sit down with the Lord. It's time to just endure, enjoy a great start to a brand new day. You know, every now and then, we need just a brand new day. And can I tell you that it's great to start that brand new day in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. If, if you have the opportunity, I want to encourage you to start your fellowship time first thing in the morning. If you got to get up 15, 20 minutes earlier than you normally do, do it and spend a little time enjoying the brand new day that the Lord has given you. That's a great time for you to be together with the Lord. It's a great time, friend, to just to sit and talk, to fellowship. It's a great time just to enjoy the company of the Lord. If you haven't been doing that, friend, I want to tell you, you've been missing out on some great fellowship. You say, well, I don't really deserve to spend time with the Lord. Well, guess what? These disciples, they had made a bunch of mistakes. They'd made many mistakes. But that's kind of what it is to have fellowship with the Lord. Even though you don't deserve it, he wants it. And so even though we have made a great many mistakes, he wants us to have great intimate fellowship with him if we'll just set aside the time. You see, despite our failures, we can have this peaceful, 
refreshing, enjoyable, brand new start to a brand new day, enjoying fellowship with Jesus, just like these disciples did. Can I tell you that there is no better education than our own failures? Nothing will teach you more effectively than when you blow it. You'll never learn a greater lesson than when you fail the Lord Jesus. I read one story about a manager at IBM who had lost the company $10 million. And all dejected, he walked into the president's office and he said, Sir, I am so sorry. It's my fault. I know you're going to want my resignation. I'll be gone by the end of the day. But that president said, are you kidding me? We just invested $10 million in your education. You ain't going nowhere. Now go get back to work. Just like that president, Jesus understands the value of our failure. He understands that there is value when we blow it, when we go outside of the will of God. He understands that. Just ask Peter, who denied him three times. But when he came back, he came back with a vengeance. Amen? See, Jesus is an absolute master. An absolute master of taking all of our failures, making something great out of them. And that's why we are never, say never, never, we're never without hope, friends. Because even when we blow it, Jesus can take that failure and make it into something great for his will and his purposes. No matter how difficult your circumstances may be, no matter how challenging that crisis may be, no matter how bad you've messed it up, the Lord wants to take that failure and help you to make it right. Now, when the Lord Jesus returned, the disciples understood, you know, there just is not nothing better than spending time with Jesus. There's nothing better. Nothing better than being with Jesus and with his people. And when it comes down to it, think about it. There's no real crisis here. I mean, so they had a, a bad fishing day. At worst, it was just a bad day. The disciples were out doing something that kind of came natural, but then suddenly it became supernatural. Why? Because Jesus busted into that ordinary day and turned it into something extraordinary. That's what Jesus does. If you'll invite him into those ordinary days, He'll make something extraordinary. When you have Jesus in your life, when he's truly your Lord and Savior, you don't need nothing else. You find yourself being very complete in him. Now, I want to remind you in closing this morning of the common symbol used by Christians in the first century. It's a fish. Imagine that. People call it a Jesus fish. But have you ever wondered why the symbol for Christianity was a fish? Maybe it was because of this day, amen? But the Greek word for fish is ichthos. 
And that's the word inside that fish in Greek. Early Christians noticed that when you look at that word for fish, that it makes a very powerful statement about Jesus. For instance, that first letter that looks like the letter I, it stands for the Greek name that means Jesus. The X, it stands for the Greek word that means Christ. So you have Jesus Christ. That third Greek letter looks like an O with a little line in it. It stands for the Greek word theos, which means God. You have that letter there that looks like a Y. It stands for the Greek word that means son. So you put those four together with the previous letters and you have God's son. Put all four together and you have Jesus Christ, God's son. But the fifth one, the fifth letter looks like that capital E there. That's the letter that stands for the word Savior. Put them all together and you have Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. All in the picture of a fish. And this became the secret way that one could state that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. See, because Jesus is the Christ, because Jesus is God's Son, because Jesus is the Savior, he is all we need. But listen, there is a great challenge before us today. We need to consciously be with Jesus every day. This is not just a Sunday thing. We need to be with him every day. Every ordinary day, we need to seek company, fellowship with Jesus. We don't just run to the Lord when there's a crisis. Help me, Lord. We don't live crisis to crisis. We get to know him and we live for him day by day. And then, when things start getting tough, you're going to be like John. You're going to say, it's the Lord. When failures come your way, you're going to say, it's the Lord. When things are going great and your nets are full, you're going to say, it's the Lord. In all things, you're going to be saying, it's the Lord. Day by day. So friend, listen, will you let Jesus be the center of your life today? Will you allow him to help you to live joyfully no matter what your circumstances are? No matter how deep your suffering, no matter how deep the affliction, Jesus wants to be the center of your life. Don't wait for a crisis to come. Friend, don't do it. Come to him. Come to him now. Come to him every day. Do you want him to be the center of your life? Then why not acknowledge him as Jesus Christ, God's son, Savior. During our decision time today, you can come on up here and you can give your life to Christ. You might realize 
like I bet these disciples did. You know what? I've been living for Jesus Sunday and Sunday, but what about the other days of my life? I've been living for Jesus on a crisis to crisis, but what about a day to day? During this decision time, you can put that decision to rest. And you can live for Jesus and allow him to be the center of your life. Listen, he is waiting to make the ordinary of your everyday life extraordinary. He wants to do that for you. Just like he did for them. Our Lord in heaven, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord, for wanting to do supernatural things through our lives, extraordinary things in our lives. Lord, I ask you now, Lord, to speak to each one of us here this morning. Lord, and let us know if there's a decision that needs to be made to make you the center of our life, that everything else that goes